You are listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. To Faithful Men is a project that started in 2006 to digitize and preserve old sermon and study tapes of Elder Wally Flanagan, Elder Hassel Wallace, and Elder Mike Strevel. They were pastors and teachers, and they studied to teach and train up others to continue in the ways of truth. I am thankful to be able to provide you with these sermons and studies, and I hope they will be a blessing to you. This morning, Lord willing, I want to begin a series of messages on the parables of Christ. I, uh, I've never done this before, but I've always wanted to. It's, it's uh, somehow or another, it's always, always simmering, one of those things that's simmering on the back burner. Uh, although, of course, I've spoken on the parables in different times and probably have spoken on all of them at some time or another. I've never actually gone through them systematically and tried to discover the sweet spiritual truths that are found therein. <clears throat> and um, a couple of things providentially came into my hand in the last uh, month or so. Uh, one was a book I forgot I had. Brother, Brother Flanagan had given me a book by uh, Trench, Archbishop Trench, uh, a great biblical expositor in the 19th century. On, on the parables and and uh, as I was rearranging my study I had to handle all the books that, that I've got and uh, I kept picking up these books and saying man I forgot I had this I've got to, I've got to read this and I'd set it aside and before long I had a big stack of them over there and, and uh, uh, so much to read and, uh, so much good good things to read and anyway I've got, got to reading in his, his book on, on parables and rejoiced in that afresh. And uh, then I ran across a commentary on the parables by uh, Benjamin Keach, who was, uh, who was a signer of the uh, 1689 London Confession of Faith. And he also had the rare distinction of being the signer of the 1644 London Confession of Faith. He signed both of those confessions. One as a young man, one as an old man. A uh, great Baptist writer of the, six, of the 17th century in England, Benjamin Keach. So, uh, <clears throat> I'd like for us to uh, to consider that. And the first one that we'll consider uh, next week, Lord willing, is in Matthew 13. As a matter of fact, if you want to um, try to prepare your thoughts and hearts concerning the parables, uh, there, there are a number of parables found in the 13th chapter of Matthew, and we're going to undertake them first. The Lord willing, uh, they're called the gospel. They're called the parables of the kingdom, as Matthew, the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew is called the gospel of the kingdom, because he speaks so much of the kingdom of God, both in its present, uh, both in its present aspect and in its future aspect. And um, I'll probably refresh you a little bit on some things about the kingdom of God along the way. Uh, I, I, I preached a series of messages on the kingdom of God. <clears throat> you know, time flies when you're having fun. It seemed like it was two or three months ago, but actually it was probably three or four years ago that I preached the series on, on the kingdom of God and what it was and what the scriptures say about the kingdom of God, and, uh, <clears throat> which is an important topic for us to consider because uh, we are members of the kingdom of God. We're subjects 
of the great king. But before we actually get into the parables themselves, I want us to consider something about parables this morning that also will be found in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. In 13.3 he says, And Jesus spoke many things unto them in parables. A parable is an illustrative story. It is a story that is designed to illustrate some biblical truth. But we are at once confronted with a paradox about parables in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. While the, the, a parable is designed to illustrate some spiritual truth, and as we all know, illustrations are designed to make some spiritual truth more comprehensible, more personal, something you can relate to, you, you give an illustration. And we try to do that a lot in preaching. We try to give illustrations. If you were to go into a Christian bookstore, you'd find whole books on illustrations. People have written for, for preachers. And uh, also appropriate jokes and, and stories. You know, these days, the good preacher's got to always tell a joke in his sermon. He's got to be sure and give some good illustrations and tell at least one story. And preferably a tearjerker. You know, really involve the emotions. Well, there's nothing wrong with telling a story, a tearjerking story, but I don't know. I never was much one for a formula for preaching personally. That may be why I don't ever go anywhere much and you have to put up my same old stories and illustrations. And um, I'm say, I say we're confronted with a paradox because a parable, an, an illustrative story, is designed to make something more understandable. But they came to Jesus in in Matthew chapter 13 with a question about parables. In verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, think about the question. Why do you speak to them in parables? As a matter of fact, uh, Mark chapter 4, where this same discussion is basically under consideration, it says, But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. He was constantly using parables, many of which are recorded for us, some of which may not be. Uh, No doubt the ones he used repeatedly. And Jesus is like every other preacher, I'm quite sure. He preached the same sermon in every place he went. He'd he'd have have sermons that he preached, things that were important to him at the time and, and in place. So the question almost seems to be an obvious one, doesn't it? Why do you speak to them in parables? Why, why, do you, why do you speak to them in illustrative stories that are designed to clarify a principle? Now, there's got to be something, of course, then a little deeper in the question. As a matter of fact, if you'll go over and look in Mark's account of this, this, uh, this question and Luke's, We've got a more fundamental problem that doesn't quite appear in the book of Matthew, and that is the disciples didn't understand the parables. So I say we have something of a paradox here. Here's something that's designed to illustrate a point, but they're not getting the point. The illustration's not connecting. They don't understand what he's talking about. 
And so they would constantly come to Jesus and say, Declare to us, what, what are you talking about? What, what does this mean? And at, on one occasion at least, Jesus somewhat upbraided them and said, What? Do you not understand this either? But He would always declare to His disciples the parable. Now, this paradox is somewhat cleared up in these succeeding verses. And it's something that we need to give consideration to, not only to the answer itself, but to the broad implications of this answer. Why do you speak to them in parables? And Mark and, and, and Luke, he says, what, what do these parables mean? Declare to us this, this parable. What are, what are you talking about? This first parable, the sower went forth to sow, and, and he sowed the seed, and some fell on good ground, more fruit. Some fell on stony ground, it didn't do anything. Some fell on shallow ground, it, it sprang up, but no fruit. Some fell up on the way, on the, the side and among the thorns, and it sprang up, but the thorns choked them out. That's it. That's the story. Well, we need to, uh, we need to kind of have Paul Harvey in on this deal, because we somehow need the rest of the story. I can see where they'd be scratching their heads. What, what do you mean by that? What, what does that mean? Why are you, what are you saying? And, and if you look at what precedes this, you, you don't get a whole lot of, uh, you don't get a lot of insight into what led into this, this, this thing of parables, and there may not be anything leading into it. So why parables? Why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, let's read his answer. Verse 11, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them it is not given. For whosoever has, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not, from him shall be taken away even that he has. Therefore I speak unto them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. And now Jesus goes and explains to the disciples privately the meaning of the parable. Now Jesus also spoke other parables. On this same occasion, they don't understand them any better than they did this one. Now we notice in verse 9, Jesus ended the parable itself with, Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Or he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Obviously Jesus is not talking about physical hearing. He's talking about spiritual hearing. And so was illustrated the, the main truth of the first parable. And that is, when the Word of God is preached, and it falls on hearts that have been prepared by God, it will bring forth fruit. 
It will always bring forth fruit. If the gospel is preached to someone who has ears, they will hear. We're not talking about these two things on the side of your head. Because there are people who hear, but they do not hear. They hear with their ears, but they do not understand with their hearts. They see with their physical eyes, but they cannot see beyond what exists in a physical way. And so Jesus has told them that the reason He speaks in parables is, I want some people to understand what I'm saying, and there are others whom I do not want to understand what I'm saying. Now, I've got another book on the parables. I don't know who the guy what guy is. Just I, I I don't recognize his name at all. It was also in Brother Flanagan's library. Um, I don't know exactly how Brother Flanagan came by all the books that he had, but uh, I know for a fact that he didn't always just read things that agreed with his theology. So this guy uh, Trench, of course, when he when he talks about parables, this is the first thing he talks about is the sovereignty of God in this issue. This other guy never mentions it. It has gone completely over his head. All he talks about is how the parables are designed to illustrate a point, to make something simple. He doesn't mention the other. Now, think about that for just a minute. God has intentionally couched His truth in a form which is calculated to conceal that truth from some people. And which is calculated to reveal truth to other people. There's a more fundamental issue here than uh, just parables. And if you and I are able to come to grips with this most fundamental issue, then we'll not have any problems with the answer that Jesus gave about parables. And that simple issue is this, that God is God, and as God, He has the absolute right to do whatever He pleases with whomever He pleases. Now, There was a time in in the history of Christianity in which that caused no one any heartburn. No one had problems with that. The, The common man in the pew, so to speak, understood that God was sovereign. That God had a right to give life and take life away. I had a lady call me about the school just this week. Got a little girl she wanted to put in the school. One of the first questions I always ask, When someone calls, one of the first questions I ask is, well, where do you go to church? Well, she said, "Um, I don't go to church. We don't go to church. I said, well, um, that is is a requirement for admission into our school. We do not just take students into our school. We take families into our school. and, And it's important for us that the things that we teach in the school are being reinforced in the home and, and in church. And so we, we require that, that our families be uh, active in church. They don't have to come to our church, but they have to be active in church. And uh, she says, well, um, I've got a problem. 
She said, my, my grandmother died some years back. And um, I guess, I, guess uh, I, just, I just grew angry with God because I thought my grandmother ought to stay with us longer. Well, bless her poor old heart. Um, you know, when people don't understand God's sovereignty, they get angry with God. When God does what God has a right to do. And, and if people just understand that God has the absolute right to do whatever He wishes with whomever He wishes, whenever He wishes, then when God does that, we're not thrown for a loop. Because we believe that all things work together for good. Them who love God. Them who are the called according to His purpose. We understand the truths of Scripture which proclaim the sovereignty of God. I want to read something to you that Spurgeon wrote on this. Uh, I really rejoiced in this. This is in his commentary on Matthew. He says, To hear the outward word is a common privilege. To know the mysteries is a gift of sovereign grace. Our Lord speaks the truth with much boldness. It is given unto you, but to them it is not given. Solemn words. Humbling truths. Salvation and the knowledge by which it comes are given as the Lord wills. There is such a thing as distinguishing grace after all. Let the moderns revile the doctrine as they may. <laughs> Didn't he have a way with words? I always love to quote Spurgeon. Let the moderns revile it as they may. Well, of course, that's still going on. Spurgeon uttered those words toward the end of the 19th century. The 20th century saw a, a, an explosion of, of uh, Armenian doctrine which sets forth man as the center of God's, God's program. That is, that, that, that man is the master of his destiny. Man is the one who is the decisive uh, element in uh, eternal things, not God. And so when we set forth the, idea, the whole idea of the sovereignty of God in election and predestination... Men recoil at that because they cannot comprehend a God who has the absolute power to do whatever He wishes, with whomever He wishes, whenever He wishes. And so, when our loved ones are taken away from us in death, we are sad, but we are not, we are not uh, destroyed because God has a right to do that. Job understood that. When, when his loved ones were taken away from him. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is it, is, it, is it some kind of complex thing to understand that God gives life as it pleases Him and God takes life as it pleases Him? Is it a strange thing that God gives eternal life to whomever He will and He withholds it from whomever He will? Is it a strange thing that God reveals His truth to some and He does not to others? Hear the words of Jesus in, in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 11. This is after He has really given uh, the cities around about, the, the, read them the riot act, we might say, because of their blindness. But yes, he, yet He says this in verse 25, Matthew 11. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed, seemed good in thy sight. 
All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, uh, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. We, we find in this the, the divine prerogative of God to reveal Himself to whomever He will and to withhold Himself from whomever He will. Now, as we read through the parables, this is going to be absolutely essential for us to understand. That's why the discussion in the providence of God has come up very early in the whole business of talking about the parables. You know, we love our children. And we believe God has given them to us. But is God bound by some, by some law to give our children eternal life? We see general principles of God's Word, and yet we understand that God is sovereign in the business of giving eternal life to whomever He will and withholding it from whomever He will. We love our children. And I think about this every year when school starts. It always kind of comes fresh, fresh to my mind. That God has charged us with the responsibility of bringing up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That means to train and educate them in the ways of the Lord. That is, that is our charge. We're commanded by God to do so. We have no choice in the matter. If we're going to serve God, that's what we'll do. Um, but it is, it is entirely the prerogative of God to make those truths real to people's hearts. And sometimes He's pleased to make those truths real to their hearts when they're very young. And I hear some people say, I, I never remember a time in my life when the things of Christ were not precious to me. And then others who, who are converted in later years of life, uh, some even in their old age, you see, God has the right to do whatever He will, whenever He will, to whomever He will. And you know, when you and I bow to that, you know what that does for us? I'll tell you what it does for us. It gives us peace. It gives us a peace that passes all understanding. You know, when, as we're around, I know Brother Jamie and Sister Natalie also hear these same kinds of things when you talk about, when you talk about uh, children being born with disabilities. And uh, Brother Bradley tells a story. I've heard it two or three times. Um, about some woman in his church. Some chaplain from some hospice came after her husband died. And she got all disturbed because he told her, Now, I know you're going to go through a time when you're going to be angry with God. And she called Brother Bradley and said, Is that true? I don't, that scares me. I don't want to be angry with God. And Brother Bradley says, he, tells, he told the woman, he said, it's alright for you to be a Christian. <laughs> you, can, you can trust God and not be angry with God for taking your husband away. You don't have to go through this. But see, the world's got their 12 steps to this, and their 10 steps, and 5 steps, and all this kind of, kind of stuff. You know, he says it's alright to trust God. Because God is the sovereign God who gives life, who takes it away sovereignly as He pleases. He gives good minds to some from others, He withholds what we call a good and a, and a normal mind, all according to His divine purpose. So, contrary to being angry with God, or angry at God, for giving us children with disabilities, we rather rejoice, like the Apostle Paul did when he said, we said, I will now, when he prayed that this thorn might be taken away from him, the thorn is flesh, he says, I will now rather glory in mine infirmities. For when I'm weak... That's when I'm strong. 
It's during those times when you're struggling with those children, maybe struggling with a dying parent, or maybe struggling with a disobedient, rebellious child. That, that causes you to draw near to God and draw special strength from God and cry out to God. And oh, what a gracious God we have who draws near to His children with all succor and aid and gives to them all such things as they need so that they are able to live in peace in less than perfect circumstances. Indeed, which of you live in perfect circumstances? Which of you has no problems? Which of you have no struggles? Indeed, all of us have things that we deal with, struggle with. It may not be a retarded child. It may not be a dying parent. It may not be a rebellious child. It may be some other thing that that we struggle with. Maybe some inward struggle of the soul, some inward struggle of the mind. Yet, when we draw near to God, we're not angry with God because this thing is upon us. We cry out to God. We plead with God for help and strength. And how often God comes to us. And so David cried out, The Lord is my refuge and strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. And so we, we understand that these troubles come upon us and, and we have these difficulties, but God is a sovereign God who does, who does as Nebuchadnezzar found out the hard way in Daniel 4. He doeth His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What are you doing? Now when Nebuchadnezzar finally came to that conclusion, then Nebuchadnezzar settled this question once and for all, who was, who was the great king over all the earth? It was not he. It was God. The Lord God, the God of Israel, who is the king over heaven and earth. And he does what he wants to in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay, stop him or say unto him, what are you doing? I thought about that pretty often. No one can say unto him, what are you doing? When all around us people say every day, what are you doing? But what does he mean by that? He means he does not say that successfully. And he does not do that without, how shall we say, No one ever shakes his fist in God's face without drawing back a nub. God's God. And He has sovereign right to do whatever He will. So He's he's come before these people. And He's preaching to them in parables. He's telling them illustrative stories that they don't understand. They don't have the foggiest idea what He's talking about. Even His disciples are, are unsure of what He's saying. And they're constantly coming to Him saying, tell us this parable. Or Jesus is, after the crowd has gone away, uh, elucidating the matter to them privately. Because He says, "To, to you it is given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. To them it is not. Now, is it any wonder to us today that there are a lot of people who don't understand the mysteries of the kingdom? who do not understand the rules of the kingdom of God and the laws of the kingdom of God. Well, not to be surprised at that. Because who, who understands them? Let me tell you something. We, if we understand them, and the degree to which we may understand them, is not because we're smarter than folks out yonder. Oh, far from it. There are a lot of people out there smarter than we are. But it's because God has been pleased by His sovereign mercy to reveal this truth to you. 
And whatever truth it is that you actually believe and understand in your heart has been given to you by God, by a sovereign act of God. Thank you for listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Also, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please share it with others and help our ratings by giving us five stars and writing a review within your podcast app. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also.